0: Well, is everybody ready for 2020 to be gone? Was What day was that? Was that Thursday night? So was Friday morning any different than Thursday morning? Yes or no? Same circumstances, same you, same Jesus. However, at the same time, you know, we are told His mercies are new every single day. As we sit in the number seven in the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. That eighth day, that number eight in the Bible, it's always a symbol for new beginning. And the reality is, is we can have a new beginning day in and day out with the Lord. His mercy endures forever. He loves us. He's compassionate towards us. At the same time, we're looking at a lot of things culturally that I'm pretty much a pessimist in the sense of i anticipate god to be great in my life i anticipate god to be great in your life day in and day out i anticipate you to grow and mature in him just like i expect that for me but culturally i don't expect much change we're stepping into a new inauguration this month how much is our political climate going to change none it's still going to be just as vicious as it has always been so we sit in COVID and sicknesses and people dying and all of its implications in our distancing and jobs and our economy and those kinds of things. My opinion is we are just at the headwater of the cost that that is going to uh, have in our culture for the long term. So I think that there are tumultuous days ahead, but in that in, the, in that imagery of, the waves crashing over the boat with the disciples in the midst of that storm on the Sea of Galilee, what were the disciples freaking out about? Jesus appeared, well, he was asleep. But they interpreted that as he didn't care about them. He didn't see and know. Don't you see that we're going to die? Don't you care about us? And the reality is, is, you know, Jesus looked at them and he said, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. So may this be a year where we grow and mature in our trust and our belief in who Jesus is and his activity in our lives every single day. And that's really what we're going to be covering in 3 John this morning. So go ahead and make your way to 3 John. By the way, so this is, uh, we're at the end of all the holidays. Um, As we step into this week, everything's going back to our new normal. So the men's study will be Wednesday night, women's study Thursday night. Uh, the youth are here tonight from 6 to 8, so stepping back into our current normal activities. But as we get into Third John, last week we covered Second John. I titled that message, Full, because he makes this comment in there, that, and he does this same thing in, his, in the first letter that we'll step into next week, this whole idea um, that his desire is for our joy to be full. Ultimately, that is in our relationship with Jesus. I asked that question as we left here. You know, what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? And really, as we sit in the content of, of third John this morning, as we sit in the context of our lives, this is our heart's cry that we would be filled with the fullness of God in all of his glory, with his mind, his heart his attributes and the transformation of that constantly looking to him as the truth that he is we sit in this letter that's called third john there's four men that we're going to deal with here john being the elder another man named gaius gaius is a leader in one of the house churches in ephesus you have dia dio trephes this is a, the guy that I called a jerk pastor last week. We'll understand his jerkiness a little bit as we sit in this. And then another man named Demetrius. And ultimately what this is, is John is writing a letter of recommendation for Demetrius as he's going to this community in Ephesus. So I remember Paul talking to the Corinthians where he said that he did not need a letter of recommendation. They knew exactly who he was. They knew his personality. They knew the gospel that he brought to them. They know how he lived in their midst for a couple of years. So as Paul is communicating to the Corinthians, I don't need somebody's letter of recommendation so that you will know me and trust me. That was the relationship that Paul was talking about. But here, Demetrius is going to strangers. So Demetrius is a brother. And we don't know what gift he's been given by the Lord. Is he an evangelist? Is he an apostle? Is he a prophet? Is he a pastor-teacher? Is he an elder? Is he an overseer? We don't know his role in the body of Christ. But what we do know is he's known by John. And John is giving him a recommendation as he steps into a community as a stranger, a brother in the Lord, but as a stranger, that this community would trust him. And just think of that in our, in our context. Uh, we depend upon other people's testimonies about what they say about other believers. For instance, if you're gonna buy a book off the shelf, often you're gonna look at who recommended the book, right? If, if, if a book has a recommendation from somebody who you know and you respect, you're more likely to pick up and read those words because there's a recommendation that's been <clears throat> given to you. So that's the whole idea of what this letter is. And then in the midst of this letter, there's a lot of encouragement. So let's read through it, and we will discuss, as always. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us, does not welcome us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself did, does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So again, here last week, looking at 2 John this week, this third letter. Next couple weeks, we will look at his first letter. But the elder being defined in church history as John the Apostle. There's some discussion whether or not that is the Apostle John or another elder in the early church named John. Both are possibilities. But we sit in the idea that this is the Apostle John, and he's writing to this man, Gaius. Now, there's multiple Gaiuses in the New Testament. There is a Gaius that was one of the men who was seized in the riots in Ephesus. So whether this is the same guy, we don't know. But we don't know uh, John's relationship with Gaius either. We don't know how intimate these men are, if they've met each other face-to-face or not, or if they just know about one another. Um, John is clearly going to be known as an apostle. But what he is doing, because he says that he's heard about his faith. So if that's he's just hearing about his ongoing faith, or he's heard about who Gaius is in general, as he's sending Demetrius to this community, again, we don't know the specific circumstances. But I want you to look at the encouragement that he gives to Gaius. One, he calls him beloved This is that, you know, comes from the word agape. Again, just that godly sacrificial love, this relationship that we have as brothers and sisters. We ought to see each other with this title identified in Christ. But he has this prayer, and this prayer is for prosperity. Prosperity says, in all things, in health. Just as your soul prospers. So when we pray for one another, often as we go around a table and we gather prayer requests, what are 90% of the prayer requests about? Health. There's a, there's a lot of people who are sick physically in their bodies. Some people deal with chronic things. Some people deal with very extreme sicknesses. Some of us, it's just minor aches and pains. But we all individually go through this cycle of having bad health and whatever that looks like. But often, when we gather together the relationships that we have with other, be- other human beings, what, what's our concern? Somebody's One of our family members, somebody who I care about, they're not doing well. Would you please pray for their health? And again, this gives us that example of how... Um, One, that that's a valid prayer, it's an important prayer, and at the same time, when we sit in our culture, so in America, the number one industry in our country behind the industry of war is health. So when you sit in our wellness, whether it's in insurance premiums, whether it's hospitals, doctors, nurses, the whole wellness industry, whether it's... uh, based in science or based in opinion or whether it's all natural or whether you're you know you're pressing into pharmaceutical companies that is the number one industry in our culture which communicates our concern about our health which is important and the bible tells us that you know paying attention to our physical being or paying attention to exercise it profits a little bit but the perspective is godliness is what truly reaps eternal dividends and eternal results in our lives because no human being dies of good health every single one of us is going to stand in sickness and in death before if the you know if the lord tarries if he doesn't come if he doesn't return and your day comes up you will not die of good health you will die of bad health So it's a very legitimate prayer, and it's a very real prayer, and it's a prayer that we cry out to Jesus for salvation and to save us from sickness, to save us from death, to save us from pain. And then the promise is, is, even if he doesn't deliver us from that moment of sickness, that he is right there in our midst, in our weakness, in our pain, in our trial, in our tribulation. He is always there constantly. So I think it's encouraging to hear John having the standard greeting to Gaius, that he's praying for him, that he would prosper. And I love this word. This word prosper means to be successful in accomplishing or completing any activity or event in your life. Now There's a, you know, we call it the prosperity gospel where that's all that some people communicate is God wants you to be rich, God wants you to be healthy, God wants you to be all the circumstances of your life to be five stars. And that's not real life. So when John here is praying about prosperity, think about that. I am praying for you. I want you to be prosperous. I want you to be successful in everything that you put your hands to in Jesus' name. I want your marriage to be successful. I want your parenting to be successful. I want your children to be successful. I want your job to be successful. I want your relationships to succeed, to accomplish, to fulfill Jesus' purpose in your life. So think about this prayer, just this simple prayer. It's very, it is a valid prayer that we ought to seek God for, and I know that we do for ourselves and for others, but may God prosper you in all things today tomorrow this year until that day you see him face to face may he accomplish his will in your life and in the midst of that i'm praying that your health would be good this word health it's used in other places in the new testament to talk about sound healthy doctrine healthy faith healthy words coming out of our mouths At the same time, Lord, give us healthy bodies because we don't want to have all this constant attention on ourselves. But he uses this phrase just as what? I want you to be prosperous in all things, and I want you to be prosperous in your health. I want you to have good health just as your soul already does prosper in Jesus. Think of this. This is the word where we get psyche. Our, our psychology, our mind, our soul, our life. In Jesus Christ, we are already prosperous. He has already accomplished his will in saving us from death and from our sins. He is already accomplished and accomplishing and will accomplish. There's always this past, present, and future context in all these words like our glorification right we were saved when we were when we uh, profess that moment that we profess faith in Jesus Christ we are being saved continually day in and day out and there's coming a day when we stand in his presence where we will be saved but already right now he has caused you to be prosperous just to, just to wrap your mind around that in, me, in meditation and all of your upheaval and all of your questions, and your struggles, and your fights, and your relationships, and all of these emotions and circumstances that we process through every day. Here, this sentence our soul already prospers in Jesus. And here he gives us. he rejoiced greatly at the testimony of how he is serving. He's hearing the testimony about Gaius from others. But he has this comment that he, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And again, John is sitting in this as uh, Paul, in uh, one of the letters to Corinthians, Paul says, you may have 10,000 teachers in Jesus but you don't have many fathers. Paul says, I begot you, I fathered you in Jesus Christ through the gospel. As Paul came into that community and he exposed the Corinthians' sin to themselves, when he came there, he revealed to them their sin. He revealed to them their death. He revealed to them their need for God. He revealed to them who God is. He revealed to them what God had done through becoming a man, through dying for the sins of the Corinthians, and not just the Corinthians, but for all humanity. And he's presenting this gospel. He tells the Romans that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. As we proclaim who it is that Jesus is, as we proclaim what it is that he's done for us, as we proclaim our need to repent, to turn away from our sin, to turn away from our death, to turn away from the world, to turn away from the flesh and aim our lives at this God who has created us as he has revealed himself. And the Corinthians responded to the gospel through what? I believe that. I believe I was created. I believe that I'm subject to death because of sin. I believe that my God came in the flesh and died for my sins I believe that he rose again from the dead I believe that he ascended to heaven I believe that Jesus is seated at the right hand of his father right now I believe that he's coming back and not just coming back to fix things but he's coming back to make all things new And specifically, those who respond to that message in faith, in belief. That's the gospel. We stepped from death into life by believing that simple message. Somebody communicated that to us. Many people probably planted the seeds of the gospel into your mind and into your heart. But at some point, there was, there was that final time when you heard the presentation of the gospel and somebody said, what choice do you make? Are you going to continue to walk the way of death? Or would you like to surrender your entire being to Jesus and walk the way of life, this narrow way for all eternity? What say you? Do you remember that day? It's today that day. Think of, the, think of the, the simple power of that message. I know that I'm created. I know that God loves me. I know that he's not pleased with sin in my life. I know that he did everything to remove from me all that does not image him. As I submit to him, He causes me to prosper. And not just me. But when I sit in your life, when I sit in the life of other human beings that bend their entire, that worship, that bend their knee and put their head on the floor. And one of the lyrics that we sang, when was the last time that you were awestruck by the name of Jesus? Awestruck. I see uh, the revelation song is one of the favorite songs that I sing and that was the lyric that stuck out to me it's my favorite because it's revelation four and five and all of heaven is just praising God but that there was a lyric that it just it just hit me between the eyes I say Jesus name I don't know how many times per day and I say it in recognition of who he is you know I love him And there are, I don't walk around continually being awestruck by him, but there are moments where he just shocks me in his love, in his mercy, in his patience. God, I can't believe how patient you are with me. I'm awestruck. God, I can't believe the favor and the grace and the love that you have given to me. God, I can't believe that you have not struck me dead for all the ways that I disobey you willingly. I'm awestruck by your character, and I want to be just like you. So when John says he greatly rejoiced, so think of the sporting events. You know, some, somebody does something spectacular sport-wise. What does the stadium do? They erupt in rejoicing, yeah! But that's what, think about John, what he's saying, Gaius. When I heard about you from our brothers who came, and they told me of how much you were loving them and what you were doing for them, and not just them, but for strangers also. I was jumping up and down, and you know, shouting. T- I mean, think about it. I'm really I'm stoic. You know, if Amber were in this room. For those of you who know amber her emotions i mean they're all on the outside i mean when she's excited the whole room knows that amber's excited right for me maybe not so much so we're going to have this kind of great rejoicing in different ways but think about his statement i have no greater joy in this life than to hear those that god has allowed me to proclaim the gospel to to hear that later on down the road that you still love jesus and we know that we know that you love jesus if you're in obedience to him that's what he's gonna say over and over again in first john this is what he's talking about uh, the truth repetitiously over and over again jesus tells us straight up if you love me you will obey what i say god help us so here prosperity leads to generosity So as he's talking about, and these uh, as we're sitting really in a study through the book of Acts, I've titled it Workmanship, because that comes out of the letter of Ephesians, that we are his workmanship. We are what God is making. Uh, We were created for good works. We just need to walk these things out. This word do, it's the same word. You do, you make faithfully whatever you do, whatever you work. Your workmanship is faithful in whatever work that you're doing for the brethren and for strangers. And again, this is is, uh, strangers in the Lord. He's talking about specifically those traveling missionaries that are coming to the community. And uh, as Demetrius is coming, so this is the subject matter that he's talking about. But again, your workmanship, those things that you do faithfully, and whatever task, whatever work of energy that the Lord gives you to do for the church, for your brothers and sisters, we've received witness about your love. They've borne witness to your love in the presence of all the church. Here he's encouraging Gaius to those who come in, those strangers that come in, uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus. Remember in the letter that we dealt with last week, he was telling if anybody's preaching false information about Jesus, don't welcome him in, don't send him on their way. Here it's those who are faithful, welcome welcome them in and send them forward on their journey in a way that's worthy of, Not of people, but in a way that's worthy of God, and you're going to do what's right. So, in other words, again, the the prosperity of Gaius's soul has led to generosity towards his brothers and sisters in Christ. Who are what? They've gone forth for Jesus' name's sake as they're proclaiming the gospel and community to community. They're not taking wages from the Gentiles, but they need to be supported as they're going so that's the, the information that he's communicating here. But this is the word that I want us to pause here in verse 8. It says, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And this idea of fellow workers, it's where we get the English word synergy from. And synergy means that when you put two people together, that the work that those two can do together will be greater than the sum of the work that those people could do independently. Does that make sense? So you have person A and person B doing a work and they're doing their own thing and they have their whatever measure of success there is. That adds to a two. Synergy, this word, this whole idea is when you put those two together and they work together, those two will now add up to three that in partnering together, that they will be able to do more work together than they would ever be able to do independently. Now, what are they, fellow, working in? For the truth. For Jesus, who is truth. For the word, which is truth, his words. But this is what we do. As we we gathered this morning, we have been working together for the truth all morning. We've prayed together, we've studied the word together, we've rehearsed together, we've worshiped together, we're studying the word together again right now, we're fellowshipping together. We are able to do more together as a community than we would ever be able to do independently. This is the reality, what does the devil try to do in every human being's life? Carve them out, isolate them, steal from them, kill them, destroy their lives. It's always the activity of Satan. What does God encourage encourage us to do every single day? Come to me. Be one with me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Imitate me. Allow me to cause you to be prosperous. Allow me to transform your soul from a selfish soul to a generous soul see others around you and the work that i'm calling you to to do together what is it that he wants you to work in his name in your homes again this is a new year this is a reset button are you resetting your household as spouses are you resetting your household as parents What is it that you want to accomplish in 2021 should the Lord tarry? What life events do you have up? Do you have kids graduating, kids being born, kids going off to school for the first time, retiring, saving for retirement? What is it that he's—what's work? What is Jesus calling you to do with your energy right now in this upcoming year? It may be Wait. It may be the youth, it may be the children, it may be worship, it may be evangelism. What is it that he is asking you to place your hand on that plow and not look back in doubt, but to look straight ahead of Jesus and follow him and his strength and his power? Not by yourself, but together. Complimenting one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, helping each other when one falls down, crying with one another, rejoicing with one another, loving one another as Jesus would have us love one another. I think that's an awesome word, synergy. Fellow workers for the truth. But Diotrephes he's not a very nice guy. We're not told that he is an unbeliever. We are not told that he's preaching false doctrine. We're just told that he's a control freak. Any of you guys know control freaks? Any of you guys been around a religious leader, somebody who is leading in whatever capacity in the name of Jesus, who wants nothing more than to be seen by men and to control you and to control others? Have you ever been around such an individual? Yes or no? And here, this is this community, these are home churches. So, as we talk about, you know, we have a few home fellowships here. And you go into, you know, Nathan is teaching at the, the Acevedo's house. And you could have, and Nathan, Nathan, I'll, do, I'll use you because you're mature and you can handle it. But let's say Nathan is just a jerk in the sense of that he wants to dictate everything that goes on in that home fellowship. He wants control over what food is served. He wants control over who's attending. He wants to be known by a title. He wants to make sure that you're only reading what he tells you to read. He wants to make sure, again, that you are cowtailing to him in all things. He wants to make sure that uh, if you need advice about your marriage and your parenting, that you were coming to him and that you're following his advice. He wants you to know that if you are thinking about marrying somebody, that you need to come to him and get his perspective and his permission to marry that individual. What does that sound like? That's a cult. That's a human being who is attempting to have control over their kingdom. And we can see this in just in a spousal relationship where typically the man is absolutely trying to control everything about the spouse's, the the wife's life, and the children's life. You see that often as we gather together in different congregations where fights occur and those kinds of things, where, um, you know, we're we're warned. There are many things that we're warned in the Bible. In fact, the prior letter that we just read, like, we need to be really cautious with false doctrine. But this guy, he's not being cautious with false doctrine. He has an issue with John, and he has an issue with whoever John's crew is. And whatever that issue is, he wants nothing to do with John, to the point of where he's bad-mouthing John. It says he's rambling, pratting words. He's talking nonsense about John and John's crew. Not just talking nonsense, but he's actually using evil, corrupt, tearing down words about John's character. And John said, When I, when I come, I'm going to bring these things to my mind because we're going to have a conversation with this man. But again, this is a, this is a home church, and he's doing, he's doing all this to the point where Demetrius is coming from John. Diotrephes would be saying because Demetrius is coming from John, if anybody in this church welcomes Demetrius, you're out of here. That kind of control. And how many people, how many young believers would be damaged by that kind of leader? How many mature believers would be damaged by that kind of leader? So we need to be cautious of false doctrine But we also need, again, we're supposed to test all of these things, but here, the heart of Demetrius, well, like I said, I just call him a jerk pastor. He's not a friendly guy, he's a controlling guy, he's probably an insecure guy. He's a guy that we would need to pray for, he's a guy that's in everything that he does, he wants the ball. He wants to be first he wants to score the touchdown he wants to shoot the basket it's all about him and the church and anybody that's outside of what he's doing he's cutting them off and attempting to prevent anybody else to have a relationship so not a nice guy so the warning the exhortation here Outside of being a recommendation letter to Demetrius, ultimately revolves around this word of imitation. The command is do not imitate what is evil, what is bad. The contrast, but what is good. So, therefore, the positive instruction imitate what is good. And I ask you, what is good? Who is good? Anybody? Bueller? God is good. Jesus is good. So when we're commanded to imitate what is good, we are being commanded to imitate Jesus. And he uses this definition of, well, how do do we know? He who does good is of God. And this isn't just good in general. This isn't talking about good works. This is talking about those who have been born again from above, born again of the Spirit, born again of Jesus, indwelt by God, that he is the one who is directing our behavior, that the source, the motivation of those behaviors is God. And I love this this whole idea. He who does evil has not seen God. So... All of these uh, individuals, none of them have seen God. We're told that the Apostle John... Oh, I've got to unlock this here. There we go. We're told that um, John, in his first letter, we're going to deal with this uh, next week, that he said that he saw Jesus. He handled him. He heard him. But for all of us, none of us have seen Jesus face to face right but he's given us the exhortation he who has seen god the result of seeing jesus is that activity of doing good there's there's a connection between having a right relationship understanding perspective a life that is grounded in who god is and right actions and good actions and good behavior When you ignore God, when you put on the blinders to who God is and the activity of God in your life, what happens? You're living for you. If you're living for you, according to your own ways, according to your own commands, what's going to happen in the long run? You're going to damage yourself, and you're going to damage other people. But this exhortation for us to imitate, we are told to, Paul says, imitate me, follow me as I have followed Jesus. Jesus tells us after that first call to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does he say? Follow me. I'll make you to be who I've created you to be. So this whole idea of seeing God, um, this is, a, the exhortation of God to me. I think this is the exhortation of God to my household, um, we're all going to go through, Julie's gone through it multiple times before, but uh, the devotional, uh, Oswald Chambers devotional, um, my utmost for his highest. Um, there's a lot of wisdom. It's sitting in the feet of, of dead people, people whose faith has stood the test of time. This devotion does a great job of encouraging, of challenging But just reading for January 1st and and for our household, you know, our daughter, she's going back to college this afternoon. Um, We try and keep multiple connection points with her. So we're going to use this devotional that, hey, I'm going to be reading this. Julie's going to be reading this. The boys are going to be reading this. She's going to be reading this. That as we go throughout our day, what will we be doing? We'll be meditating on the same portion of the word together. We'll be meditating on similar ideas. It'll help lead and direct our conversations and what it is that God is doing within our own household. But this whole idea of giving your utmost for His highest comes out of Philippians chapter one, verse twenty. This is one of those things. Like I knew the title of that, but I never knew where, uh, like, where did that sentence come from? Philippians one twenty. It's quoted this way: My eager desire. And hope being that I may never feel ashamed. But that that now, as ever, I may do honor to Christ in my own person by fearless courage. Chambers, one sentence for that is my utmost for his highest. It says, My eager desire and hope being that I may never feel ashamed. We shall all feel very much ashamed if we do not yield to Jesus on the point he has asked us to yield to him. Paul says, My determination is to be my utmost for his highest. To get there... Is a question of will, not of debate, nor of reasoning, but a surrender of will—an absolute, irrevocable, irrevocable surrender on that point. I just uh, Paul's statement about his his determination and his relationship for Jesus is I am determined to be ashamed before Jesus in nothing. What does that take? That requires surrendering my mind, my heart, my mouth, my will to him every day. I can't do this. You can't do that. God help us. But this whole, he gives the idea as as he goes on there that, whether in life or death. In other words, nothing is going to deter me from seeing Jesus. Nothing is going to deter my mind from attending to Jesus today. I will worship him. I will talk about him. I'll listen to him. I'll help others do the same. There is nothing that is going to keep me from seeing Jesus face to face because I believe in him. Satan can't keep me from that. My flesh can't keep me from that. This world can't keep me from him. There is coming a day, a glorious day, when we will be eternally awestruck at the revelation, the full exposure of who this God is who has created us. Can you imagine Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously as we sit in this letter from John to Gaius, Lord. We recognize that you are the one who prospers our soul. You are the one, Lord, that causes us out of that prosperity, be, prosperity to be generous to others or to give ourselves to others, to work with others for your namesake. In the midst of all of that activity, we are seeking to imitate you, Jesus. When I stand up here and open your word and teach, I want my mind and my words to be yours. As the worship team leads us in song, we want... Lord, I'm thinking thinking about the, the hymn that you sung with the disciples as you walked away from that last Passover meal. You sang praises to your Father. We want to imitate those praises. what you make of us and what you make of other people. Lord, we want to be engaged in that activity, in your workmanship. You've prepared our entire lives before you, Lord. And all we need to do is simply follow you. But to follow you, Jesus, we need to see you. We need to see you in truth. We need to know you. We need to know the depth of your love. We need to understand you, Lord. We all drift. We all have our opinions and our perspectives. We confess to you that we need your truth. We need your truth in love. We need your truth in spirit. We need your word. I commit to you publicly Lord before my brothers and sisters before my children before my father that's in this room I vow to you that I will give you my utmost for your glory for your namesake Every moment, every day, I surrender all. Here I am, Lord. Help me, change me. Let me see and know and understand your love. And I'll trust you in all the circumstances of life. God, you know that I am incapable of keeping that vow. So I ask that you keep me. That you enable me. Be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.